It's time now for the complete story with Rich Bot, a public news and information feature of Bot Radio Network to keep you informed about the most important issues of our day. Now, here is Rich Bot with today's complete story. Yes, this is Rich Bot, and I'm sitting in for my dad today on the complete story. We're letting him have a, a vocal rest, letting him rest his voice a little bit. It seems to be getting better, and we're very thankful for that. But we have a very special program planned for you today. As, as we mentioned over the weekend, last week I was in Omaha, Nebraska for the Assure Women's Center annual banquet where over 1,800 people packed the ballroom to celebrate the work of Assure Women's Center and the, and the 1,650 babies' lives that were saved this past year. And we were there to celebrate the mothers who made a life-affirming decision. And finally, to hear a powerful, heartfelt message from Franklin Graham. Now, folks, this was only six days after the funeral of his father, Reverend Billy Graham, sometimes referred to as America's pastor. And remember, flags all across the nation were set at half-staff half-mast in order to honor Billy Graham, and his body laid in state at the Capitol Rotunda in Washington, D.C. Finally, then he was laid to rest on the grounds of the Billy Graham Library next to his loving wife, Ruth Bell Graham, there in Charlotte, North Carolina. Well, there I was in order to hear this powerful, tender message by Franklin Graham just six days after the funeral of his father. And before you hear that message... I want you to hear the voice of Reverend Billy Graham, two audio clips as he's talking about heaven. And then the next voice you're going to hear is Franklin Graham addressing the Assure Women's Center banquet last week in Omaha. What a day that's going to be. All of our aches and pains are going to be behind us. All of our tears are going to be behind us. All of our problems are going to be solved. What a day that's going to be when we stand with him in eternity. The moment you read in the paper that Billy Graham is dead, you'll know that he's more alive than he's ever been before, and I'm in paradise. And I'm looking forward to it. My father passed away just a few days ago. Born in 1918, on a farm in rural North Carolina. His father was a a dairyman, out of just a dairy. When he was born, they had horse and wagon. That's the way the family traveled, was on their dairy wagon. My father lived a hundred years. He said, well, not quite. Oh, yeah, he did. When he was 90, my mother had just passed away. We didn't think he had lasted a year. I mean, he loved my mother so much. She was his partner in life, soulmate. And when she passed away, there was just a big hole in his heart. And so we didn't think he'd, you know, he was mourning. Now we just, he, he, he won't make it. Well, a few months later on his 90th birthday, he said he's going to live to be 95. None of us believed him. It, it's just not going to happen. Well, as he approached his 95th birthday, he moved the goalpost. He said, I'm going to live to be 100. We believed him. He died on the 21st of February last month. His birthday is November 7th. You say, well, Franklin didn't quite make it. You do the math. You just count nine months from February 
They made 100. A lot of people have asked me, you know, what, is, what, did, what did you learn, Franklin, from your father? How do you pick out one thing that you learn? There's so many things. Uh, at his funeral, Reverend Sammy Dagger from Beirut, Lebanon, um, was one of the speakers. And he said, Billy Graham was a teacher. He didn't have a chalkboard. He didn't have a laptop. He didn't have a computer or an iPad. But he was a teacher. He said, Billy Graham taught by example. And that is so true. The Billy Graham that the world saw on television, the Billy Graham that people heard in stadiums, was the same Billy Graham we children, the family, saw at home. There weren't two Billy Grahams, just, just one. And from my father, I, I learned so many lessons. He taught me about God. He taught me about sin and how it infected the human race. And that sin is a disease of the human soul and all of us are guilty of sin. All of us here in this room, every one of us. You've broken God's laws, His standards. You're a sinner. Everybody. But He taught me about a God that loved us that sent his son from heaven to this earth to take our sins. That he died on a cross. He shed his blood for our sins. And while he hung on the cross, God poured out on his son the sins past, sins present, sins future. Jesus took our sins to the grave. He was buried, but on the third day, God raised his son to life. You see, God doesn't promise us a more comfortable life. That's not what he promises us. Um, he doesn't promise us a more productive life or more money in life. He doesn't promise those things. But he does promise eternal life. If we put our faith and trust in him, if we... Repent of our sins, and by faith believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be saved. I want to take a moment to talk about the first unwanted pregnancy that I think it was recorded in the scripture, and just the progression of what happened. And if you I'm going to read in 2 Samuel, chapter 11, verse 1. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Amorites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and he walked around the roof of his palace and from the roof he saw a woman bathing. The woman, the woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, Isn't that Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? 
And David sent messengers to get her. And she came to him, and he slept with her. She had purified herself from her uncleanliness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I'm pregnant. So David sent this word to Joab. Send me Uriah the Hittite, and Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were, and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house, wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace, and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance of the palace with all the master servants, and he did not go down to his house. When David was told Uriah did not go home, he asked him, Haven't you just come from a distance? Why didn't you go to your home? Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents, and my master Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open fields. How could I go down to my house and eat and drink? And lie with my wife as surely as you live. I will not do such a thing. Then David said to him, Stay here one more day, and tomorrow I'll send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. At David's invitation, he ate and he drank with him, and David made him drunk. But that evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among the master servants. He did not go home. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it, he wrote, put Uriah in the front line where the fighting is the fiercest, then withdraw for him so that he will be struck down and that he will die. There's several things. First of all, the king was at the wrong place. He shouldn't have been there. David should have been with his men. He should have been at the battle. How many times do people get in trouble because they're at the wrong place? A bad decision. David made a bad decision. He was in the wrong place. Bathsheba, bathing on the roof. Was she doing that, hoping that maybe she'd catch the eye of the king one day? I don't know. The Bible doesn't say that. But she was certainly at the wrong place. She sends word, I'm pregnant. So he has a plan. We'll solve this easy. I'll get your husband back here. You look real good. Put some perfume on and, and uh, he'll be home. And uh, he'll never know the difference. He'll think that's his child. Problem is solved. But Uriah would not go to his wife, would not go to his house. He was a man of integrity. And if the Ark of the Covenant was in a tent and Joab's fighting men and David's men were out there in the field sleeping in the open field, he wasn't going to go to his house and eat and drink and sleep with his wife. It wasn't going to happen. So he slept on a mat at the entrance of the palace. So David said, okay, that did work. I'll get him drunk. That'll work. And he'll just stagger home. He'll just be on like autopilot. 
didn't work. Uriah was a man of integrity. He didn't go to his wife. And then the next morning, the king writes a letter to have Joab or to have Joab have Uriah the Hittite put at the very front of the battle, withdrawn from the soldiers would pull back and he would be killed. Uriah carries his own death warrant in his hand. And then the battle comes, he's killed. Problem is solved. But you see, the Bible tells us that our sins will find us out. Always does. You can lie and hide and you can try to do whatever you want, but I can tell you one thing right now. God has a way of making things known. And so Nathan the prophet comes to David. Tells a story about a rich man that had many lambs and animals and a poor man had just one small lamb that they had loved and had been like a member of the family and it was a pet in the house and the rich man came because he had a friend who was visiting and he wanted to feed that friend something and so he didn't use his own animal but he took the man who had just one lamb and he took that and fed that to his friend and David the Bible says his heart burned with anger toward that man he said that man should surely die he'll have to pay back fourfold for what he did and Nathan said to David that man is you And the Bible says that David confessed and he repented. And God forgave David, forgave him for this wicked, evil thing that he did. But there were consequences. And the sword never left David's house. He was forgiven, but the sword never left his house. There were consequences. An unwanted pregnancy. I don't know if Bathsheba was involved in the cover-up. The Bible doesn't say that. Many times people want to cover up. Now this was not a young couple. This was not just kids that got in trouble. But these were two married adults that the Bible records. And the progression of the sin. Have your husband come under the pretense of, I want to know what the battle is, but the whole time he's just wanting Uriah to go sleep with his own wife to cover up his sin and her sin. It didn't work. Let's get him drunk. It didn't work. We'll just have him killed then. And I think of the young people today. I'm pregnant. What am I going to do? Abortion sounds so easy. Oh, you can just solve this so quickly. It can be done just in just a matter of, of minutes. No big deal. Nobody has to know. It can be covered up. It can be hidden. Many young people find themselves in a storm. In the Bible, in Matthew, Jesus gets into a boat and his disciples follow him and they go across the Sea of Galilee, and then suddenly a storm comes upon them. These were experienced fishermen. They they were boatmen. They knew how to sail. They knew how to fish. They knew the sea. They had been in storms. And now the boat was taking on water. And now these fishermen, these experienced boatmen, knew that they were going to drown. There was no hope. They had given up 
hope. The boat was sinking, and all of a sudden it dawned on that Jesus was back at the boat asleep. And they go shake him and wake him up. Lord, don't you care that we're about to drown? Jesus gets up. He said, oh, you have little faith. And Now, he probably said some other things. Now, the Bible says don't add to Scripture. I'm not <laughs> adding to the Scripture, but I'm thinking maybe something like this was, what kind of stupid are you? <laughs> I got into this boat and you followed me, so therefore this makes it my boat. And whenever you're in my boat, my boat doesn't sink. And I think the Lord Jesus got up and when he rebuked the wind and the waves, it died down, not gradually, but it was like that. And it became instantly calm. So much so now that it, that, that frightened the disciples. What kind of man is this that can calm the sea and command the wind and the waves? What kind of man is this? It's God in the flesh. That's what kind of man he was. It's God in the flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ. They were afraid. These sailors had lost all hope, but Jesus was in their boat. And I think of these young girls and these young couples, they get in trouble and they don't think that there's any hope. And the only thing that they can do is just, the only way they can get out of trouble is, oh, let's just have an abortion, it'll just go away. We just go on with our lives. And many girls think, my life is ruined now. My career, my plans are, will be, be shattered. Um, I didn't really love the guy. It was just, you know, maybe we got drunk and it was just something fun to do. Whatever the excuse is, they feel as though they have no hope. And so when you have organizations like Assure's Women's Center, where they can have hope, where they're given information, when they're told of options that they might have. It's a huge difference. I remember I was being interviewed a number of years ago by a, a woman from a national magazine in New York. I don't want to give you the name of the magazine or give her a name, but um, very much a liberal. And I, I don't think she really liked me. And I'm thinking to myself, why am I talking to this lady? And we were in San Antonio and at a long table where I had some of my family and some friends. And it was just the two of us at the end of this table. She's interviewing me for this magazine. And so after a while, I get kind of, I'm tired of answering her questions. So you mind if I ask you a few questions? And um, she reminded me of my fifth grade school teacher. I have nothing against fifth grade school teachers, okay? <laughs> but my fifth grade school teacher, when she wanted to look at it, she put her glasses down on the end of her nose. And, she, and so this lady, she put her glasses over the end of her nose and she looked over the top of them, looked right at me. She said, go ahead. I said, um, do you have a relationship with God? Um, I, uh, I don't know. I said, are your sins forgiven? And she, all of a sudden, tears started coming down her cheeks. She said, no, I don't think so. I said, would you like to have that assurance that God would forgive you of all of your sins? She said, yes, I would. And now the tears are just running down her cheeks. The other people at the end of the table, they're looking down. What did, what did Franklin do to hurt her? 
he must have really offended her. I said, would you like to take a moment and just pray with me right now? To confess your sins to God and to ask him for forgiveness and to put your faith and trust in his son, Jesus Christ. She said, I would. So I just took her hands and we bowed and prayed. Just prayed a simple prayer like, dear God, I'm a sinner. And she said, dear God, I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sins. She said, I'm sorry. Now she's blubbering. I'm sorry for my sins. I believe that Jesus Christ is your son. That he died for my sins on the cross. That he was buried for my sins and that you raised him to life. And I'd like to invite him to come into my heart. She repeated this prayer. She invited Christ into her heart. I said, amen. She's just weeping. She says, Reverend Graham, she said, I have to confess something. Listen, you just confessed your sins to God. You don't have to say a word to me. I didn't want to hear nothing. And then she got real intense. No, I have to say this right now. Okay. She said, 20 years ago, I had an abortion. Can God forgive me for what I did? I said, he just did. She said, it's haunted me all of my life. She says, there's not a day that went by that I don't think about what that child would have been on its first birthday, second, fifth, would have been going to school now, 16, having their first date. She said, it has haunted me. Will God forgive me for what I've done? He's forgiven you. He's forgiven you. And not only has God forgiven you, but he has forgotten it. You have been cleansed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're forgiven. And she... She took her face and just wept. But it was now not tears of bitterness, but it was tears of joy. Tears of relief that God had forgiven her. The women that come to Assure, there's a lot of pressure putting on them, go ahead to have an abortion, just let's just take care of it. Abortion is murder, okay? It's what it is. And that's a word people don't want to hear. But that's what it is in God's eyes, is you're terminating a life. Those young women will have to carry those scars for the rest of their life. And I thank God there's organizations like Assure. Somebody asked me, how many of these events do I do a week? I do this maybe twice a year. I just don't do this. I don't have time. Uh, My father asked me 20 years ago to run his organization. I was already running Samaritan's Purse. And so I didn't have a whole lot of time then. I have even less time now. But I believe in this very much. So that's why when I get a chance, I'll do it. Because they need your help. They need your support. Because the people's lives that are being touched are people right here in your community, in your state, saving life. So I hope that you will support them in a much bigger way than you had planned tonight. God made us. He created us. 
He loves us. But we're all separated from him by sin. And the only way that we can come to a holy God, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. There are many people who want you to think that all roads kind of lead to the same God and that the Muslims are, you know, worship the same God we do and we just kind of go about it different. All this is just a lie from hell. There's only one way to God and that's through the cross. Jesus Christ paid the debt of sin. The only hope for each and every one of us is Jesus Christ. That's the only hope. And I don't know if you're here tonight, if you've ever, if you are sure of your own salvation. In a room this large, I I, I know there are many of you here tonight. You're not sure that your sins are forgiven. Maybe you have found yourself in a storm of life. Maybe you're having problems with your marriage. Maybe you've got problems with your kids, grandkids. Maybe your business is not what you thought it would be and you're going through storms in your life and you're, who can help you, who can save you? Those disciples yelled, Jesus, save us. That's what they cried. They said, save us. It was just a prayer, save us. Jesus Christ can save you. He can forgive you. He can cleanse you. And he can give you a new life and a new beginning. And all you have to do is just say this simple prayer in your heart. All you have to say is, dear God, I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sins. Forgive me. I believe that Jesus Christ is your son that took my sins on the cross, that he died in my place, and that you raised him to life. If you're willing to pray that prayer, God will forgive your sins tonight. That's right. He'll forgive your sins. And he'll heal your heart. And whatever storms that you're facing, you just give those storms to him and he'll take care of them. Why would he do that? Because he loves us. He made us and created us and gave us life. And I thank God that sure is here. And we're here tonight to help them to save life. God bless each and every one of you. It's a privilege to be with you tonight. And I hope that each and every one of you will just double what you were planning to do tonight. And let's see them get the help that they need to help this community and and these young women and these young families that are in trouble. So God bless each and every one of you. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Wasn't that a powerful and tender message by Franklin Graham last week, last Thursday evening at the Assure Women's Center Annual Banquet in Omaha, Nebraska? What a powerful, life-affirming message, and also gospel-centered. We just want to give this uh, listener comment line, and we'd love to hear from our listeners, 1-800-345-2621. We love to hear from uh, you folks that are listening. Let us know the programs that you enjoy the most and the broadcasts that are having an impact in your life. And also, we hope and pray that there are those that maybe heard this gospel presentation by Franklin Graham and have prayed to receive Jesus as your Savior. That's our hope, is that you come to know Christ and that you grow in your daily walk with Him. 1-800-345-2621. This is Rich Bott sitting in for my dad on this chapter of The Complete Story as a public service, and we'll see you next time. 